Thank you for listening to Data Science at Home podcast with Francesco Gadaleta. You are about to get cutting edge insights from the people who are reshaping the world of technology with machine learning, data science, and artificial intelligence. It's time for Data Science at Home. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco. As always, I'm very glad to have you on the show. And um, uh, there is, of course, the usual invitation to the uh, Discord channel. It's the official server uh, of the podcast, datasciencetome.com. You will find the link in the show notes of every episode at datasciencetome.com, but of course, also in the comments of uh, this video for those who are following, of course, the live stream uh, from Facebook, from Twitch TV, um, and, uh, and YouTube, of course, as always. Now, there is one last thing that I would like to share with you, which is the very recent newsletter uh, so that, uh, you know, you will never miss an episode whenever it gets published um, and you will receive everything straight to your inbox. So, uh, you know, it's a, a way not to uh, miss things. <laughs> and uh, of course, uh, nobody will ever ever spam you. Uh, so feel free to share your email uh, with me. Um, uh, the website is uh, on Substack, uh, so you will find the link in the show notes of this episode as uh, together with the other ones, uh, but it's uh, datasciencetome.substack.com. Now, what do we talk about in this episode? Well, in this episode, I would like to speak about something that, you know, a concept that is in fact very, very common um, when it comes to machine learning. It's uh, of vital importance uh, for machine learning algorithms, which is the concept of similarity. Now, the concept of similarity is uh, very important because it has been applied uh, across domains in uh, many uh, machine learning problems due to the fact that most classifiers um, work with the concept of similarity in the back end. And so it's kind of a core concept for pretty much any machine learning uh, algorithm or model. Uh, now, of course, the concept of similarity changes according to the uh, data type. It changes according to the domain where you are applying this, uh, uh, you know, this similarity concept. And uh, it is something that makes make things like you know look like magic because uh, you know we human beings have the tendency to uh, understand the concept of similarity from a human perspective so when we see two colors that are similar we understand what it is when we see two objects with you know a similar shape uh, we understand what it is uh, probably we don't understand or we cannot understand very uh, you know easily how two vectors uh, numeric vectors uh, how similar they are so we need to find some metrics there uh, and uh, one of which is of course the cosine distance or the cosine similarity that allows you to calculate uh, in fact the the angle between any two vectors so when the two vectors are uh, similar well in fact when they are identical it means that the angle between the two vectors this is you know geometry um the theta which is the angle between the two vectors is uh, is very small um and so this means that uh, you know you have a a similarity which is very high right um Ideally, it's one, which means 100% similar, which is identical. 
In contrast, when the two items or the two vectors are orthogonal, uh, well, then you have the maximum um, angle in between and, of course, the minimum cosine, right? So that's a concept that mathematicians and, and you know, people who understand uh, geometry know this very, very well. It's a very mature concept, which is the cosine similarity. And that's exactly how a machine uh, prefers to calculate things or calculate similarity whenever uh, it has, you know, it's dealing with numerical vectors. Uh, now, with this concept in mind, um, we have been applying, uh, you know, the concept of similarity to many other items, many other objects and data types, for example, words. And so we have been um, discussing about a number of times, even on the Data Science at Home uh, podcast, uh, the concept of similarity between two words or two paragraphs, two sentences, even between two documents, uh, using what we have discussed a number of times, which is the concept of uh, embedding models. And so, for example, the concept of word embedding is something that uh, we should be all very, very familiar with um, due to the fact that uh, the word embedding is a way to calculate, well, to transform any particular word of a certain uh, vocabulary into a bunch of numbers, uh, usually between 50 and 300 dimensions, depending on how accurate you would like to be. And uh, each word is actually uh, translated or transformed into a numeric vector. And then from there on, uh, we ask a machine to calculate a you know, say distance or a cosine similarity between any two vectors, right? So that's what we have been doing for so many years now. And uh, with amazing results, I must say, because, uh, you know, back in the days, um, we were making these features, uh, especially when it comes to linguistic and uh, uh, NLP, uh, which stands for Natural Language Processing, uh, we were forging these features uh, manually, pretty much manually. And so, for example, we were assessing the similarity between two words, uh, depending on a bunch of, of features, for example, the stem, the root, a number of vowels, uh, or I don't know, a number of characters, probably, it's not that important to understand the similarity of two words. But you get my point. Like, it was very hard to find a, a way to assess similarity between two words the way human beings do. And how do human beings assess similarity? Well, they, they consider the context where that word is, is appearing. And so, for example, which is, by the way, the concept of how to build uh, a word embedding dictionary, um, is uh, measuring um, how many, uh, measuring the way a word appears in a particular context, because if two words, even very difficult, very uh, different from each other, if they appear in a similar context, they're supposed to be uh, similar or semantically similar. And uh, these are the findings that um, allows us to um, for example, consider chair, the word chair uh, being similar to the word table, you know, just because every time you speak about a chair, uh, most of the time you're also speaking about or you have been speaking about a table as well, uh, much less apple, right? So when you speak about chair, uh, it happens more, more uh, rare, rarely that you also speak about fruit and trees and ground. So when you speak about ground and, and trees and fruit, you speak about all these three concepts more or less all, all together. And so if you 
where to categorize or assessing the similarity between chairs, tables, apples, and trees, well, you would you would know exactly where to put which which word, right? Um, so that's exactly what word embedding have been doing so far, and the, and that works, you know, very 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 nice because it's a. Uh, you know, we, there is a very classic, now it's a classic example, <laughs> that is uh, doing some algebra on words, uh, which means that, um, you know, queen and king, you know, the queen and king example is uh, is probably a classic now um, that allow one to consider, for example, the words man and woman uh, similar to the words king and queen, you know, because there is a gender relation that is tran- uh, transferred from the concept of, you know, person to the concept of, um, I don't know, royalties or king and queen, right? Uh, so, you know, that's, you know, the, um, uh, the, the way word embeddings have been applied so far. Now, in the literature, we have seen these things and this concept being applied not only to words, but as I said, also to, uh, let's say, paragraphs, sentences, uh, even entire documents. And so, it, just using exactly the same concept, we have been applying this, uh, you know, word embedding or or paragraph embedding or document embedding. If you Google these terms, you will see that there is a, a very interesting literature uh, with exactly these terms that I just said. Um, and so, for example, uh, to conclude, document embedding is a, a machine learning model that allows you to translate or transform a document, for example, a textual doc, a text document, into a bunch of a bunch of numbers, right? Into a vectors, uh, into a vector, and so depending on what's the dimensionality of that vector, but essentially, once you have the representation of that particular document in uh, uh, numeric form, um, from there on is uh, is very easy for the machine, <laughs> because uh, two documents are two vectors. On the two vectors, I will apply the regular cosine distance or cosine similarity, and boom, I have exactly the same uh, concept of similarity. I can measure the similarity between two documents, right? Um, now, if we want to make this concept even more, um, let's say, generic, uh, we can move to the concept of node to VEC. Uh, and this is also something that uh, there has been, there is still quite a, quite an extended literature. Uh, the node to VEC is a way to apply and assess the similarity between two nodes. And nodes of what? Nodes of a graph. So this is exactly what I'm going to discuss now, which is, uh, in fact, it's the, the main topic. You know, all this preamble, all this introduction uh, was exactly to get here to the concept of node and the concept of graph. As more and more big tech companies vie to collect your data, it is a challenge to protect your privacy. Proton is creating tools that give you control of your data. As part of our Black Friday sale, you can get ProtonMail and ProtonVPN for up to 50% off. ProtonMail protects your inbox from surveillance and abuse, and ProtonVPN protects your internet activity, unblocks content, and masks your location from the websites you visit. If you select a bundle plan, you will also get early access to Proton Drive, its end-to-end encrypted cloud storage service, for free. This is our only promotion of the year, so it is your best chance to upgrade your privacy. Click on the link in the show notes of this episode or go to protonmail.com slash data science and get 50% off a two-year-plus plan bundle. 
That's protonmail.com slash data science for 50% off ProtonMail and ProtonVPN. So why I want to introduce the concept of graph? Because, well, as you can understand, the concept of similarity is quite simplistic. You know, when you think about uh, words, vectors, documents, paragraphs, okay, we can complicate the, the, the idea, but, uh, you know, when it comes to similarity among uh, generic objects um, or even individuals, for example, uh, and so let's say, let's call them nodes, uh, it's not just the similarity between these two uh, items or objects, but it's also the similarity of their neighbors, right? So it's also the context that these two entities are uh, immersed in, right? And so, for example, uh, and here we introduce the concept of uh, um, of homophily. Uh, homophily means that similar nodes uh, might be located nearby, right? Now, this is a concept that is very, very common. Uh, it comes from graph theory. It's very, very common for social networks. Social networks, for the record, it's not just Facebook. You know, it's called the social network. But in fact, behind Facebook, there is uh, mathematics. There is a graph where each node is a person. Um, yes, indeed. I'm sorry to disappoint you. We are just nodes of a network. <laughs> and then there are relationships between us. There are edges that connect me to my friends and uh, my friends to their friends and so on and so forth. And so these connections are so-called relationships or edges of the network define the type of um, relationship that is indeed established and measured uh, between two nodes. Right now, as you can see, this is not just assessing the similarity between me, you know, node Francesco and node uh, Francesco's friend, right, or Francesco's girlfriend, right. So it's not only that; it's um, the network, or well, the subnetwork in which Francesco is uh, immersed, is connected to, and the subnetwork Francesco's, let's say, girlfriend is immersed uh, into. Right? And so it's the surroundings that uh, defines the concept of similarity uh, in a much broader way. Right? It's not just two vectors that, um, you know, as we said before, uh, as we saw before for the words or for the paragraphs. This is much more simplistic. In this case, when you are considering networks, the complexity um, is much higher. Not only from a computational complexity, of course, but a computational point of view, but also from, um, you know, from the concept. It's conceptually more complex, right? So there are different um, uh, types of similarity um, when it comes to graphs. Um, for example, one uh, very important is so-called structural equivalence, which means that um, there are in a usually relatively large uh, network or large graph, um, there are some sub-networks that look alike. And so if you think about, um, take a, a, a large organization, right, a corporation, and if you were about to um, uh, represent that large corporation, uh, let's say 100 and plus thousand employees, right, it's something massive. Um, now, if you were about to um, uh, represent that organization as a graph, you would find that uh, some subgraphs are, you know, patterns are preserved some, uh, somewhere, right? Which means that you will find some subgraphs similar to some other subgraphs, 
and uh, and what is the subgraphs is probably some business units. So the way uh, people or employees or or you know hierarchical uh, figures in the organization are connected is kind of preserved across the entire organization. And if you uh, you know I'm very sure that this is also the case for uh, for Facebook, the social network. Uh, if you look at the graph, unfortunately we cannot look at the graph only facebook can look at the graph um so this data is very you know proprietary and uh, they don't want to disclose these things with us though we create the graph <laughs> in fact uh, but that's probably another topic for another episode in fact this is going to be one of the next episodes with uh, uh, when we will speak about regulations and data privacy but let mo- let let's not divert there now <laughs> so even in the in the facebook graph you will see i'm sure some subgraphs that are preserved you know the structure of which is preserved across the entire facebook graph right and this is what it's called the structural equivalence now as you can understand um, you need to assess the similarity between not two words or two paragraphs or two uh, numeric vectors as we did before, but between two subgraphs or two graphs, right? So that's much more uh, complicated uh, from a computational perspective, but it's also much more powerful. Uh, and uh, this is, in fact, you know, the, uh, the backhand and the core, the mathematical uh, engine that is behind many uh, solutions out there. Uh, one in particular, many concepts, of course, uh, that are used uh, on a daily basis uh, in, in, believe me, in so many domains that you can't imagine. Uh, and that's the concept of knowledge graph. So the concept of knowledge graph is indeed a graph in which you have nodes that are connected to other nodes and each relationship is defining uh, some sort of semantic, you know, it has some kind of semantic meaning. Uh, It can be, it can go from gender to age to much more complicated things like actions, interactions. For example, uh, uh, people played with uh, uh, Pluto, uh, right? Or or, or um, uh, the, the, the physical, ca- physiological characters, for example. So the similarity of how you look like uh, or two people look like, right? Um, or the way two people behave or the meaning of a word or the, the way that word is indeed used in different languages. And, you know, you can be very creative to um, set and think about all the possible relationships that might be created among uh, between any two nodes. So this is, in fact, the concept of knowledge graph. And, uh, and the representation of the knowledge graph is indeed uh, as a graph in which all these properties of uh, you know concept of similarity and uh, and um, uh, and structural equivalence are indeed very very present. Now there is a problem when it comes to graphs that um, that it's uh, you know in the real in the real world we know when two things are connected we do not know when two things are not connected <laughs> and that's a kind of a problem for a machine learning algorithm because an algorithm is um, a relatively I would say stupid thing. <laughs> it's not, but you know, you know what I mean. It's uh, it's something that you need to feed the model some data uh, that are you know positive and negative 
uh, represent, representations of the phenomena that you are trying to model, right? So, for example, in a classifier, what do you provide? You provide, um, if you are classifying, you know, things like uh, red and blue, right? You have to provide things that are red and things that are blue. If you are classifying cats and dogs uh, or recognizing cats and dogs in computer vision, you know, in the training uh, algorithm, in the training sample, you have to provide cats and dogs, right? So that the algorithm can learn from what it is a cat and what it is a dog and make that distinction and learn the features that are indeed representative of the cat and of the dog so that the algorithm can decide. The problem with graphs is that we don't have this. And so we only have the relationships that are visible, that are in fact part of the phenomenon that we are observing. And this means that uh, is the equivalent of having only dogs or only cats. So the algorithm can never learn uh, from the negative, the negative examples because there are no negative examples. So how do we proceed with that? I mean, that's the main difficulty of, um, uh, of having uh, models that learn from graphs. And well, uh, one idea is, of course, uh, providing negative sampling, which is um, randomizing the way some nodes are connected. So um, you might provide the, you know, the, the training algorithm a set of nodes that you know they are connected and another set of nodes in which these connections are, in fact, randomized. And so if you take A and B connected to, you know, via an edge, a relationship, uh, you keep A and B connected if that indeed happens in the real world, in the phenomena that you are observing, in the so-called uh, positive sampling. But in order to uh, train the algorithm uh, to recognize what is wrong in that particular case, well, then you break that connection. And so you provide A and, uh, for example, connected to C or A connected to D. So you don't provide A and B again because that's what you know it exists, right? So this is negative sampling. Now, the problem of negative sampling is that when it comes to very large networks, it might be that you are randomizing and by chance, you are actually creating positive samples. And so that's, you know, that's another problem because you're creating confounding factors. So that's, you know, as you can understand, it's not immediate to, uh, you know, finding an equivalent between uh, the way you consider similarity for uh, words and for paragraphs and just, you know, translate or transfer that concept to, um, to the concept of graphs. So that's uh, exactly what I wanted to speak about. Now, uh, when it comes to training algorithms, uh, also there, there is another uh, important uh, limitation of, um, of this algorithm that, uh, you know, need to train, need to be trained on graphs uh, in which the dimensionality of the problem is uh, usually orders of magnitude bigger than the dimensionality of the typical problems in which we deal with the words or, or paragraphs or, or uh, numeric vectors. And so, you know, in these cases, we might have, we might be dealing with a, a computational complexity that is so high uh, that uh, most of the time uh, training these things on one machine is going to be almost prohibitive, um, which is why, especially companies of the caliber of Facebook, they have been investigating, um, and also Google, they have been investigating, uh, investigating methodologies that allow one to, um, let's say, 
distribute the computation when it comes to graph processing and graph training uh, and uh, and use other alternative algorithms or uh, stochastic gradient descent that are in fact distributed. Uh, now one in particular is um, Hogwild. Uh, we have been discussing about Hogwild in uh, a long time ago actually, in uh, one episode of this podcast. Um, you can definitely search it on the website, datasciencesatome.com. And uh, I remember that there was an episode in which I showed all, well, majority of the um, optimization algorithms that are out there and are currently used in uh, not only in deep learning algorithms, but also in um, uh, simple logistic regressions and, uh, and the like. So Hogwild is an algorithm that allows one to, um, let's say, train a um, stochastic gradient descent in a distributed fashion. And this means that there are multiple machines doing the job of minimizing the loss function. Uh, for the record, the loss function is that function that you want, in fact, to minimize. It represents the differences between the prediction and the ground truth. And so if that difference is minimal, it means that the algorithm is very accurate because it gets it right, right? Uh, now, how do, do you proceed when you have, for example, billions of nodes in a network and uh, billions and billions of edges, of connections among these nodes? And these are really not numbers that I'm, I'm making up. These are real numbers. You know, imagine that, I don't know how many people are using Facebook, I believe billions. Uh, now, imagine if every person is one node in the network, in the graph, um, and one person can be connected to I don't know what's the average, probably 50, 100, maybe much, much more uh, other people. Um, so if you have like 1 billion um, users, uh, in fact, it's much more than that, I believe, um, you have uh, a tens of billions of, uh, of, uh, of edges, right? Because every person is connected to tens and tens of other people or hundreds of other people. So that's the idea. The, the thing is that when it comes to these types of you know problems and this dimensionality, forget about running these things on a one single machine. Uh, if you move to a domain like uh, uh, chemistry or uh, computational chemistry, for example, um, you have particles there or chemical compounds, and the numbers are very similar. You also have billions of things. And when you go to genetics, uh, you find exactly the same problem, the problem of dimensionality. And so there is a paper that has been uh, provided by the um, uh, research team at uh, Facebook. Um, I, I will report the paper in the show notes of this episode. And it's a paper that allows you to, um, the, it's called a PBG, um, um, which stands for PyTorch um, Big Graph, PyTorch Big Graph, PBG. Uh, computer scientists are always, you know, uh, using these acronyms and that also put me in danger whenever I didn't prepare and understand that acronym uh, before the episode. But I am a computer scientist myself, so I know the jargon. <laughs> now, PBG is exactly an algorithm that works on, uh, uh, on a graph. Not only that, it applies a Hogwild-like algorithm to distribute the stochastic gradient descent on a number of machines, and the way it works is very simple. Well, relatively simple. They partition the um, uh, the nodes uh, into uh, partitions, and then they maintain, uh, in fact, partitions that are disjoint from each other. 
so that they can uh, they can you know operate and train on each partition independently and so you know they spend a bit more time making the right partition and then they distribute the computation that's where the trick is spend always more a bit more time uh, you know s setting up the data structure and then run the algorithm that's very important i don't know who said uh, when you run something that you want to be optimal in doing that something with computer science spend the the devote much more time on understanding how you structure your data and so data structures are in my opinion much more important than the algorithm per se in fact some data structures allow you to uh, perform special algorithms or specific algorithms uh, that are by construction faster or or linear with the in time or linear with the number of nodes in this case, um, and other data structures prevent you from running these linear algorithms because they are not you know very well designed. So that's exactly what they did at Facebook, and uh, Facebook is uh, you know is a kind of in a competitive advantage because they. Uh, well, first of all, they have these problems. They are born with these problems, the problem of dimensionality. But they also have the data. And so they uh, can find, uh, you know, they can experiment a lot uh, with, uh, uh, for example, the optimal partition that allows you to, uh, you know, scratch uh, more uh, computation, computing time uh, from the overall time that you need for uh, that type of optimization. That's it for today. I think that, uh, well, I hope that you uh, enjoyed the live stream. And uh, of course, um, come on the Discord channel. Let's have a chat. Uh, you, it's the place where you can propose uh, the new topic that you would like to, me to speak about or you uh, want to come and discuss or ask some questions about the uh, previous episodes. Uh, that's, that's very fine with me. I mean, I actually have a lot of fun answering uh, uh, especially smart questions. <laughs> but of course, don't be shy. We, uh, th the most stupid question is the question that you never made. Um, last thing, last but not least, uh, subscribe to the newsletter. It's free of charge. Uh, no spam included. Believe me, your email will never be shared with anyone except from myself and uh, Substack probably. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, so we'll never miss an episode. And of course, uh, tell your friends. I would really appreciate. Thank you very much for being here. And I'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new, fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.